Rudy Church, stand and sing with us.
Hey, good morning, Rooted Church. Thank you so much for being here. Um, my name's Alex. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Rooted, um, and I'm just really thankful. I don't know whose kid that is. I use that joke every week. Um, but uh, I am just thankful that you're here, that we are a family of missionary disciples who exist for the good of our city, but also, most importantly, the glory of God. Um, and so as I talk about a few announcements this morning, um, I just want us to have that lens um, as we think through the different programmings and the different things that we got going on. Uh, but the first that I want and encourage us to pray for, and just a reminder that our pastor Rodney Rambo, who we love so dear, is uh, on sabbatical right now. Um, and so as uh, you think about that, we have some prayer cards in the back for him if you want to put one on your refrigerator. Uh, but just to pray for his his family and his personal self to go ahead and, and take rest and you guys can sit down, by the way, while I'm announcing. Sorry, I forgot about that. Um, but as, as as the Rambos are away throughout the month of January, we're incredibly blessed uh, to have guest preachers uh, throughout the month. Uh, but also just we pray that he can reconvene with his Savior, remind himself of what he has been called to do, but also just uh, find trust and faith in his God. Uh, this year, it's it's a new year, so we have new partnerships, and we are incredibly thankful to have a partnership with a church in Kenya. Um, with that, we, we decided as we continue to want to plant churches, that that is not just a uh, thing that we want to do here in southwest Missouri, but also globally. Um, so part of our tithe every single month is going uh, to them, and we're just incredibly thankful just as we get to know this pastor. Man, we think Church planting challenges here in Southwest Missouri are hard, uh, but what he's going to do village to village, uh, we're just incredibly thankful for that partnership. Uh, 
the other uh, announcement I wanted just to remind us, as the new year has started, so has our programming. So we took a month uh, throughout December off of family groups and DNA groups throughout the holidays, uh, but we wanted to remind you that family groups and DNA groups are starting back up. So this week is our family group rotation. Um, if you'd like to get plugged into a family group, I'd love to help you get connected. I'll be at the connection table um, after service, and I would love to get you informed as far as when do those groups meet um, and how we can get you plugged in, because we want to be a family of missionary disciples, and that family aspect is when we get together um, every other week with our family groups. And then the last announcement for you this morning is Shalom Sunday. Uh, so as uh, one of the rhythms that we've established, which I, I personally really, really enjoy, is when there's a month that has five Sundays, uh, we, we break away from gathering at the building, and maybe we gathered scattered throughout our community, or maybe we go and serve a nonprofit organization within our community, and that will be Cross Lines. Uh, just really thankful for uh, Amanda Holland and Beth Newman. Both of them are instrumental in planning these days, and so especially for Cross Lines, uh, we're thankful. It, uh, we are incredibly thankful that we can serve at Crosslines. They're going to have a lot of stuff for us to do, but it's also a friendly reminder that we as a church need to be serving our community as well. And so what does that look like for that first Shalom? Just, it's on January 31st, so don't forget. All right, let's transition to our responsive reading uh, each Sunday. Uh, thanks to for Dustin for putting this together. Just to put our minds and our hearts in a place of reflection and remind ourselves who our God is and who we are. So I'll be reading the words that are in black, and we'll all together uh, read the words that are in yellow. It says this, And so we are gathered here, this group unique in all of history, we particular people in this singular time and place. Accomplish your purposes among us, O God. Tune our hearts to hear the voice of your spirit. Wake us to be present to you and to one another in these shared hours we are given. For it is you, O Lord, who have so gathered us from our various places, and you alone who know our hearts and our needs. Among us are some who arrive anxious, some who are lonely, some who suffer pain or heartache. May we in our joys find grace to enter into the sorrows of others. Among us are some who arrive rejoicing, hearts made light by good news, good health, and glad anticipation. May we in our sorrows find grace to embrace the joys of others. Let us prize these moments and care for one another deeply. For each of us and our relationships to one another are precious and fleeting. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are, that you are consistent in your character and in your love this morning. I thank you for, for Rooted Church. I thank you that we can gather together this Sunday morning and remind ourselves that you have pursued us, that you deeply love us, regardless of what we've got going on this past week, how distracted we may be, um, or what sin we have wrestled with. Lord, your love is consistent. So I pray that you would allow us to focus on you this morning, that you would remind us of your love, that you would remind us of the power of the cross that has defeated our sin and our shame. And Lord, that you lift us up with you. Thank you that you are alive and that you are present in this place. Amen. Go ahead and stand as we continue to worship. Solid ground 
firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stay. In Christ alone, who took on of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and our righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. the pain that lades these days. Give me courage, O Lord, courage to live them fully, to love and to allow myself to be loved, to remember, grieve, and honor what was, to live with thanksgiving in what is, and to invest in the hope of what will be. For this is who we are, a people of the promise, a people shaped in the image of the God whose very being generates all joy in the universe, yet who also weeps and grieves its brokenness. Let me learn now, O oh Lord, to do this as naturally as the inhale and exhale of a single breath, to breathe out sorrow, to breathe in joy, to breathe out lament, to breathe in hope, to breathe out pain, to breathe in comfort, to breathe out sorrow, to breathe in joy. And here between the tension of the two, between what was and what will be, 
Let my heart be surprised by, shaped by, warmed by, remade by the same joy that forever wells within and radiates from your heart, O God. Amen. Holy Spirit, living breath of God, breathe new life into my willing soul. Bring the presence of the risen Lord to renew my heart and make me whole. Cause your word to come alive with me. Give me faith for what I cannot see. Give me passion for your purity. Holy Spirit, breathe new life in. is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. 
He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I don't know if I'll ever know how deep the hole of my sin goes. But what I do know is his mercy is more. And what we need to know this morning, what each and every one of us needs to know this morning, however deep we think that the strain of our rebellion goes into our own hearts, his mercy is more.
welcome to Rooted Church. We're going to take, uh, uh, sorry, uh, little ones uh, eight and under are going to go downstairs to Little Sprouts. And if you would, remain standing for Revelation chapter eight. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass the second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water, and the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle flying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Whoa, whoa, whoa to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. All right, good morning, Rooted Joplin. How are we? Does anybody call you Rooted Joplin? We do down south. Um, yeah, it's good to be here with you again. I was uh, super glad that Rodney had me back a second time. That told me a couple of things. Um, either he's crazy <clears throat> or the first time didn't go so badly. So, uh, or maybe a mixture of the two. I, lo I love my brother a whole lot. Super, super thankful for the opportunity to come and be with you all today. Uh, share with you what God has put on my heart through his word. Um, yeah, it's a uh, certainly an interesting time to come and preach the word of God in a landscape where politically, socially, economically, uh, lots of things going on in the world right now. Um, yeah, there's just a, a, a lot uh, happening. We're kind, of, we're kind of in this period that we see where a lot of, a lot of periods in church history uh, this is a time when folks really in the church start going, okay, we need to return to the Lord. We need to get back to the basics. We need to engage in prayer. We really need to answer the culture's dilemma. We need to answer the culture's problem. And the, the culture is currently asking the question to us, how do we fix what's wrong? Okay. So on social media, a lot of times, I don't know how much time you spend there, but there's been a clarion call always for the next year. 
So since, I don't know, probably a good five years now, at the end of every year, everybody's looking forward to the next year, okay? And so it's not a new thing to be like, okay, 2020, we're going to put you behind. 2021, save us, okay? And then already, I have seen where folks want to cancel their subscription to 2021. And we are just now crossing the mid-marker of the first month. Uh, it's, it's an interesting thing, and, and, and the world is unaware that it has been doing this now for years at the end of 2016. Man, I hope 2017 is a lot better than this. Oh, gosh, you get to the end of 2017. Man, I hope 2018 is better, and so on, till, till, till we're at this point where we're saying, so are you looking to the next year to save you? And why? When the cycle has been not really great for every year that's peeled back. Um. And, and it, what's, what's interesting out of all of this is that when you look at what the church is saying, we need to pray. That's been a prevalent uh, cry out, out of the church for the past probably two months. Pray. Let's pray. Let's be vigilant to pray. Let's call out to the Lord. That's absolutely right. But I think a lot of the world is like, well, I mean, we can pray, but that's not really going to change anything. And that's an interesting thing to say. Blaise Pascal, who was a, uh, a, a, he was a mathematician and philosopher back in the 17th century, he, he actually said this about prayer, which I, th I thought was really interesting. He said, God instituted prayer in order to lend to his creatures the dignity of causality. Essentially saying, God gives prayer to mankind so he can feel like he's getting something done. Isn't that, in, isn't that an interesting way to look at it? I think it's overestimating mankind's role just, just a little bit. Uh, C.S. Lewis was helpful because he actually commented on this at one point. He said, prayers have not really advised or changed God's mind. That is, his overall purpose. But that purpose will be realized in different ways according to the actions, including the prayers of his creatures. For he seems to do nothing of himself, which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He commands us to do slowly and blunderingly what he could do perfectly and in the twinkling of an eye. It's really interesting. That's an interesting observation about Pascal's quote, right? Because all of a sudden, it's, it's like it's kind of about causality, but not really. God is inviting people in to participate in his plan and purpose through prayer. So, so this is where I would say, if basically if you're looking for a definition, I don't know how, much of you, how, how many of you are note takers, but this is kind of how I would define that. So prayer is the active participation by the believer in the purposes of God. That's ultimately what prayer is. It is you participating in God's plan. So to take it a step further, when we look at prayer itself, we are not only indicating our weakness when we come to the Lord and submit to him our requests, our confessions, our needs, but we're saying we're actually demonstrating the weakness, right? We're demonstrating our need for him, our fundamental humanity is demonstrated in prayer to God. Earlier this week, uh, Jared Wilson, he commented, trust me, I'm realizing at this point, the introduction goes on, but you are going to see what this fades into. I love a long introduction myself, but I'm always kind of like, where, where, where are you headed here? Uh, earlier this week, in a For the Church article, Jer Jared Wilson observed this. He said, in prayer, you are not commanding the Spirit or summoning the Spirit like he's a cosmic butler. In prayer, you are not in the place of control, but in the place of submission. Through prayer, we bear our hearts, minds, and souls to the God who wants to be our friend and deliverer. And the more we do this bearing, the more we will experience of his power, even in our lowest and weakest of moments. 
prayer is essentially weaponized weakness. So now what we've got is, we have this text that we're facing today where some interesting things are happening, and, and there's, there's a lot to be said in 13 verses. I mean, it's a lot. There's a lot going on in the text. But if we look at it, if we stand back and just consider the narrative where it's going, I think what you'll see is an expression, literally, of God saying, my plan was to answer the prayers of the saints in this time to bring about judgment as a result of that, but that I actually built that into the plan at the foundation of time. So, four points for the note takers who love to make notes about the points. God delights in the prayers of his saints. That's the first thing we're going to see. God answers the prayers of his saints. God plans and prompts the prayers of his saints. And then finally, God includes grace in the midst of his judgment. Let's go ahead and pray before we dive into the text, okay? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be with family, to worship you, to proclaim your word and its truth. God, you're so merciful. And you could do all this perfectly in an instant, but you let us stumble about serving you and participating in the massive plan that you had before you even began to create the world. You are amazing. You are incredible. You are holy. You are faithful. And Father, we dare not enter this time when we study your text without asking you for help. Holy Spirit, please turn hearts of stone to flesh. Please make this a time of seeing the truth, and not only hearing it, but then engaging it when we leave this place. Father, thank you so much that Jesus made this possible. You are beautiful. Help us today. These things we pray in your name. Amen. All right. So we look at our text, uh, Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. So, so we immediately start with a when. Okay? When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. That, this is an interesting thing because if we just started preaching this, but we had no idea of what came before, which you do because folks have been preaching on this prior to now, uh, this, this is a time when we say, okay, so now we're entering something new. So what happens when the Lamb opens the seventh seal? There's silence. Okay? So what, what, one thing we should notice is when there is silence before the throne of God, you should actually stop and pause in your reading. Because the author is telling you something amazing is happening. And something amazing and incredible is about to happen. See, this is not a silence of like a commercial break or some kind of, uh, well, we, we, you know, this is, a moment of, this is not a moment of silence. This is not a commercial break. This is not a pause. This is an actual moment of awe. They are before the throne of God. John is seeing these things take place at the throne of God. And the Lamb has just opened the seventh seal. The expectation is, what is going to happen now? What is happening here? So what ends up happening is, and you will see this as we go through, there's a sequence of events that's unfolding, and we get those sequences through the words like when, then, and, so the author is actually moving us through the sequence of events. He's telling us, now we're going somewhere. He says, Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. 
Okay, so hold on to that, because the trumpets don't happen yet. We're equipping those seven angels with the trumpets, but everything is static for the moment. He then goes on to say, and another angel, not of the seven, but another angel enters. And what does he bring with him? He goes to the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So it's it's really interesting to note uh, in my mind, you know, not only something big is about to happen, we have this kind of building anticipation anxiety, the sequence of events unfolding, but we're getting to a point where we see, oh, the prayers of the saints is happening. This is an event that's unfolding before the throne of God. What, why, why is that significant all of a sudden? Right? We've had all of these things unfolding with the seven seals. We get to the seventh, and now it's kind of like, it's almost like you're kind of taking a break. Right? This is like an interlude. This is kind of saying, okay, all of this stuff, this really dramatic stuff has happened every time a seal is broken. And now, we've, now we get here and it's kind of like, oh, now, now there's prayers. So is that the result of the seven seals? Not, not exactly. So what, when it, what ends up happening is, I don't know if you remember back in chapter uh, six, the fifth seal gets opened. And what happens when that fifth seal is opened? It's the martyrs are crying out. How long, O oh Lord? before you vindicate us? How long before you bring judgment on the earth for our deaths? That's what, that's what happens in the fifth seal. So it's really interesting because, you know, the, when you move through a text like Revelation, you are seeing, okay, this happens, then this happens, and then next in the event, and, and you don't get a good sense of time, right? There's no kind of like, well, and then, you know, like next month, uh, the set, you know, the sixth seal is, and then next month it'll be the seventh seal. You know, come back and join us for the seventh seal. It's not, it's not some sort of like, you know, <laughs> like monthly or bi-monthly event. This is a, this is really showing you that this moment where we pause and look at the prayers of the saints, that is important in the middle of this text. Okay, so when you're reading and you're kind of like, man, why? So if you stop and you ask why, stop and ask why, and think about it and meditate on that piece of scripture. So let's look at, at what one commentator notes about this. So we have this angel, and I'm not going to like do a dramatic acting out for you here because that would be embarrassing for both of us, but uh, the golden censer, that, the, the censer is to burn incense, okay? And so remember that we also know from the fifth seal that the, the saints, the martyrs that have died, are actually under the altar, okay? That's really important. They are under the altar. So when we get to this point... We have this angel entering, and so he's got much incense, apparently was given to him, to combine with the prayers of all the saints. But the verse goes on. It first says, all the saints. And then it says the prayers of the saints. Twice within the period of two verses is what it's saying. So the emphasis here is, number one, this is all saints. Okay, This is not a kind of a selection or a cross-section This is prayers of all saints being used. So why do you combine that with incense? What's the purpose there? There's got to be a purpose, right? So why why are you doing that and then burning that before the Lord? So if we look at that, there's a a commentator that noted something. And and what you'll do is you'll kind of remember, if you know anything about the Old Testament, all this will start coming together for you. He says, the scene in heaven suggests there's something sacrificial about genuine prayer. 
both the believer and his prayer enter the presence of God by way of the altar. I don't know if you remember much of what happened when they had the tabernacle, but the Levitical priest would go and he would enter and he would burn incense in the morning and in the evening before the ark, right? So he enters the Holy of Holies and he's burning incense. And you're thinking, okay, I get it, but like, how, what does that have to do with all of this medicine? What he's telling you here is there is an element of pleasing God that this aroma brings to him. Incense is not like sulfur. You're not like burning sulfur and going, I hope you enjoy that smell because I love it. No, this is a great and arousing smell to God. This is like, oh, that smells really good. And, and the text doesn't go, God delighted in the prayers of the saints. It doesn't say that. But we know that because he responds. And how do we know that he responds? Listen to what it says in verse 5. So it says, Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar. So the angel takes that censer that was burning incense. He takes it fire from the altar. And then what does he do? He casts that down to earth. Could that angel have done that without God's permission, without God's prompting? No, this is, there's an implication in the text. God was like, oh, all these prayers are coming up. All of a sudden, boom, I'm answering the prayer. Take that censer, load it up with fire, cast that down to earth, because we're getting this started. What an amazing moment. No wonder there was silence before all this took place. I mean, if you're standing there and you had any inclination of what was about to happen, you have the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world opening that last seal and then there's the silence. You know something big is about to happen. And that big thing that is about to happen is God answering the prayers of the saints. That's it. That's the big thing. And what unfolds after this is mind-blowing. It should inspire in us a kind of awe and a fear and a reverence of the God who enacts these judgments on the earth. So, I don't know about you, but I always like to, there's this, there's this idea of like, the theology and, and, and the nature of God always brings to you, it's like, man, he's so godlike. And yet, you also need to remember you're made in his image, right? So when you look at the characteristics of God, you kind of need to go like, oh man, he kind of made me like that. And not in a godlike sense, but in the fact that you carry and bear his image. So he loves good smells. And what smells good to him is the prayers of the saints. That smells good. And I think about that, and I'm like, man, is a good smell enough to rouse you to action? And the first thing that, thought that, that came to my mind was, I love the smell of coffee in the morning. Is there anything that can get me out of bed like the smell of coffee in the morning? No. There is no known substance that will wake me from bed and say, get up, get to work. Only coffee can really do that for me. That's how much I love it. And what's funny is, my wife, the reason I'm smelling coffee is she has gotten out of bed first to go work out at like 3.15 in the morning. I'm exaggerating. But she gets up early and goes, and she's pulling those espresso shots. And it, it like, I can hear the snaps of the machine. And then that like, that squeaky sound that it makes when it's pouring out of the, the water. And it's, and I'm like, mm. And in just a few seconds, I'm like, 
oh my gosh, I can smell that. I was like, I want to sleep so bad, but there's no way. The smell gets me to action. It reminds me the day is beginning. And God, when he smells the prayer of the saints, he goes, this is the time. Now is when I'm going to do this thing. I am roused up. All of the prayers of his saints over time. I, I want you to think about, you, you can't, we can't comprehend, we could barely even scarcely number the number of prayers across time that have been prayed by the saints for the vindication of the saints of God when folks have been martyred till now. The first person that ever died for the sake of God to glorify him solely and alone all the way till now, all of that, and the prayers of each person who prayed vindicate us, deliver us. Let's look back. I'm going to go, I'm going to turn back quickly to Exodus. And I think this gives us an actually a really good idea of uh, what it looks like for a group of people to kind of call out, okay? So we're going to be in Exodus. You don't, you don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll gladly read it to you. But uh, Exodus 2, and yeah, I'm realizing now I should probably look at my notes, huh? Yep, Exodus 2, 23. So it says, this is right before chapter 3. This is right before Moses um, visits God in the burning bush. This, this says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. That's, that's an interesting uh, procession there. God heard, God remembered, God saw, God knew. You have a ton of people crying out, groaning, it says. This is not, uh, God, please let me get that new RV right now. Please. This is not a basic prayer for material good. This is deliver us. And he would go on to remind them later that he did in fact answer that prayer. But it's an interesting thing to see a group of people in concert praying like this. Let's look, look at another example. And this is to show you that God actually not only answers prayer, but wants you to pray to him so that he can answer it. This is in Luke 18, 1 through 8. And it says, and he, that is Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Now, I'm going to go back to that word speedily. When you look at time references in the Bible, be super careful. Okay? Don't go, okay, God, you said speedily. Let's, let's do this. Let's get this done. No, 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 no. Speedily to God might look like a million years, honestly. Okay? We know, Peter pointed out, that a day is, is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. That's a good reference for time scaling for God. Okay? Remember, he's outside of time, not in it. 
he can see the entirety of it, right? So it's really interesting to me when you, when you look at these things, it's, yes, God will answer the prayer. He's going to answer it in his timing. So, but, but why does he answer the prayers of his saints? Why can't God just go, I want you to pray, but I'm going to do what I want to do? Why doesn't he just do that? And he's just kind of like, you guys just keep praying. Just keep yourselves busy. But I'm still going to do what I want to do. He really kind of does that. But he ultimately, and we'll see this in just a moment, I'm going to make an argument that he ultimately will put on our hearts the prayers that he wants us to pray so that he can then answer those prayers to get the glory. But that's, there's a couple of points there. And so just, just asking the question at a basic level, so why does he answer the prayers? Number one, because he loves us. He loves us. I mean, John 3.16, I mean, there, that's the only verse you need to know that God loves the entire world. I mean, that's it. That's your, that's your reference right there, your go-to. He loves everyone. 1 John tells us how much he loves everyone. What he is, is love. He is love and light. That makes sense. That's consistent with his nature. But, but more than that, he loves us like, like I love my kids. Like I do. Like I want to keep them safe, and I want to provide for them, and I want to give to them. And the reason that he loves us like that is because now his saints, his children, are like his adopted kids. He's our dad. When you cry out to him, you can actually just call him daddy. Because that Hebrew word, Abba, that's what that means. That's that affectionate, intimate term of a child to the father. I can call you daddy. When you go to him and you are just done, you know what I mean. Those moments when you've just had it. Or you just want the prayer to be answered. You're so burdened. Just call him daddy. That's his name to you. That's the beautiful thing about being saved. Is that is how intimate he, he is with you. And so the, the second reason is because he gets glory when he answers the prayer. And what is the chief end of man? To glorify God. That is the chief end. We are here to glorify him. If you're struggling with your purpose today, that is it. To glorify God. That's exactly why you're here on earth. And so when he answers your prayer and we honor him and we praise him and we give him thanks for that, boom, that is him getting the glory. So my exhortation to you out of that would be this. Pray and don't stop praying. Isn't that so simple? It's the most simple thing I've ever said, ever, to anybody. Just keep praying because he wants to hear from you. If you're looking for application, you're thinking, all right, I will start praying 20 minutes a day, and I'm going to master that 20 minutes. And then the next week, I'm going to add 20 minutes to that. And the next minute, I'm going to add 20 minutes. And pretty soon, I'm going, to be trained, I'm going to be praying 24 hours a day, no sleep, praying all the time. Boom, got it, nailed it. No. Let your type A self go, just fade away. Just let it go. And just embrace this. You can talk to him anytime you want, all day long. I actually made the comment at one point, he is, he's not got a, you're, he's not going to put you on hold. Okay, you're not going to call, trying to figure out where your stimulus check is, and be like, hmm, okay, this elevator music is getting super annoying. God is not like that. Boom, he is available to every one of us in this room, to all humankind, that he will listen to when they pray the prayer as a saint. He will listen to that prayer. There is nothing barring that. Jesus Christ made that clear, final, definite, 
nailed hard as a rock when he was on the cross. He made that reconciliation possible. We can talk directly to God because we are sealed in the Holy Spirit. Who knows the mind of God but the Spirit of God himself? And if the Holy Spirit is in you, you can pray knowing that your prayers will be heard. And so let's, let's move on to this. this I, would, I would consider it to be something of a little bit more complex thing. I, was, I struggled a little bit when I was studying. I was like, how do I explain this when I myself struggle with this idea, right? And this has to do with God's providence. And when I say God's providence, what I mean is his ability to both sustain and govern the earth. All of the things happening in it, he can do all that at once. And he does that. He's been doing it throughout time. He sustains it. He governs it. That's every particle, not only here on earth, but beyond. He's got it all. And he's managing it all the time, effortlessly, I might add. So when we look at that and we know that, and we take a step back and we look at this text, we say, so what, so why, if we look at the sequence, what, what is that telling us? You know, we've, God is, a, is really gracious to us to put things in terms we can understand. It's one right after the other, right? One seal right after the other seal. Pretty soon it's going to be one trumpet right after another trumpet, right? Pretty soon then it's going to be seven thunders, right? It's like the, there's, a, there's a God who is so merciful, knowing we can't possibly understand what is going to take place, who says, I want to kind of help you understand it a little bit more, okay? And so we understand that there's a, a method, a kind of sequence, a real plan and intention going on in all these things. So when you realize that, you're thinking, okay, what then, how, how do we get to the point of the prayers of the saint? How do we get there? And then you realize that in that plan, in that intentionality, he knew the prayers would be prayed at the beginning. He had to have. But then, if God also, through the Holy Spirit, prompts us to pray to him, that means that God was planting the prayers in us to be prayed that he would then take as incense and then answer. So God caused the prayers to be prayed that the saints would pray. That is so strange to me. I mean, it's like, do we, and this goes back, this is like way apart, but it's like, do we have like agency? Well, yes, we do. We have some agency because God invites us to participate in that. And when we're his children, the Holy Spirit helps us to know the things that God wants us to do. And why is that? Because the Spirit of God knows the mind of God. So when God wants something done or he wants something prayed, he puts it on the hearts of his people, and boom. Thursday morning, Alex Gandy, Josh, I'm praying for you. I'd like to reach out to you and talk to you. Great. I needed it. I'm an anxious guy. I was thinking about this all week, studying, preparing, I'm a little nervous. Rodney, will, he will corroborate that at some point for you. He will say, yes, Josh is a little high strung. I am. It's probably because of all the coffee, honestly. Um, but yeah, so it's this thing where I realized, so they knew I needed prayer because I was praying for prayer. I was like, God, please have the saints pray for me now as I prepare for this. And he said, okay. And then he said, I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to show you that they are. How encouraging is it to know that folks are praying for you? Is it on, on days when you were like, am I alone in here? Someone is praying for you. Guarantee it. If you're a child of God and you're down and you know that he's near to those brokenhearted 
and contrite in spirit, someone is praying for you. Guarantee it. And don't be bashful. When you need it, ask for it. Because what you're going to do is prompt somebody else to pray for you, and God is ultimately going to get the glory. Every circle comes back around to his glory. So I wanted to tell you this, and this is, this is the, essentially the third point, that God both plans and prompts the prayers of his saints. But I want to encourage you in something, that if you're not really praying a whole lot, if you don't really, you're thinking, man, how often, if you're just kind of self-evaluating right now, how often do I really pray? You can actually pray to have a heart of prayer. Isn't that weird? God, I'm praying to you right now so that you'll help me to pray. It's, that's great. It's, it's the same guy. It's the same, same principle as the guy who said, um, I believe, help my unbelief. Right? When he's talking to Jesus. It's like, I believe, but I can tell inside. I don't really believe a whole lot. Right? And that's the thing about God is, he's going to bring you to a place where you must pray. God will not abide silence from his children. I want to hear from my kids. Boom, I yell for them. Get up here. It's time to talk. I want to hear from them and see what they have to say. I want, to, I want them to make their wants known, their needs known. If they're having problems at school, I want to know about that. If they're having problems with others, I probably know about that well before even they do. So I want you to know this because, you know, we, we have something like the disciples' condition. And it's in us. And it's the sin that clings to us that says, you don't really need to do that right now. You don't really need to pray right now. You don't need to. It's the disciples. Jesus is praying the blood out of himself, and they're sleeping. That's the only time I ever saw the disciples completely at rest. Every other time, they're freaking out. They're on the boat, and the storm's going. Jesus is the one doing the sleeping, and they're thinking, oh, man, we're, this is it. We're done for. Jesus is down there relaxed. We're up here. He's going to destroy us. And now, when it's like at the 11th hour, Jesus is literally praying so hard, and they're like, man, this is a good time to catch some Z's, bros. Let's do this. And I'm thinking, no, this is me. That's me. At the 11th hour, I'm like, man, oh, I guess I could pray now, right? Isn't that what you've heard? All we can do now is pray. <laughs> it's bad, but all we can do is pray. All we can do is pray. Praying is what you do from the beginning. All the other stuff is like the last resort. Prayer is the first resort. That's where you go. So let's, let's look at this, this judgment, these answers to the prayers of the saints. Let's see what happens. And I'm going to read this because it's really good and it's really notable and because the word does not return void. It says, now, now. There's another one, another transition word, now. The seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. I don't know what, what the reactions were of like the elders around the throne, those individual angels who some think represents literally just the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God enacting those judgments himself. I don't know what the mood was like. But as each trumpet was blown, I think it was a little awe-inspiring. I think there was still a lot of silence. The text doesn't visit that for us, but the only sound would be the trumpet in my mind. And remember that trumpets themselves were used for like war, announcement, religious ceremony. So when those things are blown in heaven, I can't imagine it was just kind of like a little trumpet here that we would have in like your high school band. 
Those things are probably making some noise. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood and these were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the grass was burned up. A third. Note that. In the next few verses it says that 13 times. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of water. The name of that star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Why a third? You ever at, you, I don't know if you guys read this before you got here, but it's like, why one third? What's the significance of that? There has to be significance. It's repeated over and over and over again. Well, as our kids who are learning fractions, what's, what's one minus one third? What's the whole minus one-third? Two-thirds. There's two-thirds left. So that tells us a third is a partial judgment. In Hebrew numerology, three is like the symbol of like eternal perfection. That's a great number of like things happen in threes. You're going to see that here and again in a minute. But ultimately, the Trinity is a three, this like perfect communion of three. What we're seeing is it's not perfect. It's not whole yet. The judgment is partial. And let's look at what it affects. Dry land, vegetation, grass. I actually will tell you that I tried to look up at one point. I was like, okay, how would I tell them what it would be like to have a third of the trees burned up? A third of all the trees on earth burned up. And I figured out, and somebody's going to go home and look at this that is here, and they're going to be like, uh, they're going to email Rodney and be like, he was way off. But what I figured out was based on vegetation and the available hectares, which are a larger measurement than, than acres, it would be the equivalent of something like 1.75 United States worth of vegetation burning up on the earth. So if you took whole United States, the continu contiguous United States, and you put like you know, three quarters of that next to it and covered it with trees, burned up, boom, gone. All green grass, gone. Dry land, burned, third of it. Oceans and ships. It's going to get real difficult at this point to carry on trade and commerce with those ships, right? Fresh water supply, third of that made bitter. People dying. So the wormwood is poison. It's poison. It makes water bitter. People are drinking that. Boom, poisoned, ill, sick, dead. Sun, moon, and stars darken. And, and this is an interesting, because this goes back to, you know, he says something like a mountain falls into the sea, something like it. So, so you shouldn't say a mountain falls into the sea. It's like on fire. It's like a fiery mountain. No, it's something like a mountain. And so also when he says a third of the sun, a third of the stars, a third of the moon, you, you begin to need to, to try to think about this as like, how is John describing this to us in the way that he sees it as, as inspired by the Holy Spirit. And when you start to do that, you're thinking, okay, he's just explaining to us the best way he knows how, right? He's just kind of saying, how am, I, how am I seeing this, right? And there's lots of opinions about what this particular section of Scripture means, how it plays out. 
Some folks think it's a nuclear holocaust. Others think it literally just kind of plays out just like it is. Um, there's all kinds of defenses. Okay, just, yes, that's fine. Take all that, put it in a box, go home, study that, see where the Lord leads you. But know that the main thing is that God has inflicted this catastrophic judgment that is only partially complete. And when you walk away from that, you're thinking, man, where's the new heaven and the new earth, right? We're like eight chapters in. No, you've got a ways to go yet before you get there. Okay? The partial nature of the judgment, I think, and some others think as well, some other commentators, really looks like an opportunity for grace. So you still have people living on the earth, right? There had to be people to drink the, the fresh water. You still have people on the earth. It is like God is saying, I'm answering their prayers for vindication and judgment. And I'm doing that thing now. And I'm in the, in this, in the process of that. But I still want there to be time for people to know that I am the Lord your God. And if you want to go home and look in Ezekiel, that is a, this echoes Ezekiel really well in the sense of God bringing judgment both on his people and on other nations. And the reason he does it every time is he says, so they will know that I am the Lord God. And what is that doing? It's giving him the glory. It's recognizing him as creator, as ultimate, as supreme, as Lord over all, which is exactly what he is. That is God. He is the one who delights in our prayers. He is the one who answers our prayers. He's the one who prompts us to pray the prayers. That is God. He's doing the work. On the cross, Jesus Christ did the work. In you, the Holy Spirit is doing the work of sanctification. It's sealing you for this day. God wants to know those who are His. The Holy Spirit's doing that. This is a phenomenal moment in the, in the timeline of history. I mean, if you think about all the calamities that have gone on in history, all the things that are happening right now pales into comparison about it, about in relation to what is about to happen. It's, it's craziness. It's mind-boggling. If you even pause and think through these things and try to visualize what might happen. I'm such a visual person that I, I'm like Michael Bay right now, right? I'm like, okay, explosion here, explosion there, explosion here. Oh, death, mayhem, you know? And it's like, yeah, but it's so far beyond what I could even imagine. I've never seen anything like it. Chernobyl never saw anything like it. Hiroshima never saw anything like what will take place on that day, when those trumpets start to get blown. And so, I reach this point in the text, in the preparation where I'm thinking, man, God is building in grace for his people. And the grace is even happening as I'm speaking to you right now. Because I get to tell you what we can see on the horizon. And no, I don't know when all this takes place. I don't, I won't pretend to know. I'd be a fool if I did. But I can tell you this, if you are in this audience right now and you are thinking to yourself, I'm not saved. I don't know Christ as Lord. I haven't repented and confessed and believed in him and his saving work. I'm going to wait until the best moment for me to do that. I'm just going to wait. Man, don't wait. What does the Bible say? It's appointed for man once to die and after this the judgment. And you don't know when. You just don't know when. And this isn't a hellfire brimstone scary into salvation kind of thing. No, this is reality. We just don't know when we die. 
So every moment you get, if you are not saved, and the Lord is calling you to him, and the Holy Spirit has opened your heart to the truth of the beautiful gospel, right now is when. And if you're hoping that, as a believer, your friends and family that don't know Jesus can somehow get to that point without hearing about it, no. How are they going to believe unless we preach? How are they going to believe unless they know? We, ha- we must tell them. And then the beauty of this whole passage is you don't have a heart for telling people about salvation and the gospel. Okay? Pray for it. God answers the prayers. We just defined that. God answered the prayers of his people. And we don't want those people to experience a judgment that is detailed here and that will go on to be detailed in chapter 9 and 10. You just don't want that. If I love my neighbor, if I love my family, if I love my friends, but I don't have a heart for them to come to know Jesus, I need to pray for that heart. Because now is the time. Now. It's imminent. Right now. I can't stress that enough. It's the beautiful plan that we get to participate in. And it's the basics, right? The gospel and prayer. Boom. Gospel. Holy Spirit gives you the power. You go tell other folks about the gospel. You let God take care of the changing. You don't change the people. God changes them. And if you're praying and praying and praying for a loved one or a family member or a neighbor to know Jesus, keep on praying until they know. Keep praying. share this with you just in conclusion. And it's kind of a humorous story. I hope it doesn't embarrass him, but probably about, I was just before school started maybe, maybe like a month before school started. My son and I were sitting on the deck. I was studying for a class, and he came out and we, he started asking big questions. You know, sometimes kids ask the big ones. Okay, you know, God created everything. Are you sure about that? Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Well, you know, is, what, what, what's eternity? Like, how long is that? And, you know, we started getting in this conversation, right? We're answering some big questions. He's eight. And I was like, okay, are we doing this, God? Is this, what is happening right now? Where are we going here? And we talked and we answered questions. And I said, you know, I was like, is the Lord, uh, do you feel like the Lord's pulling your heart towards him to be, to be saved? Mm, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. I was like, you're not ready to be saved? What do you mean you're not ready to be saved? Well, if, I, you know, if I'm saved, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to have to tell kids about that. They're going to know. I'm going to, have, I'm going to have to tell them that I'm saying. I was like, oh. So I was like, so it's not like the right time then? Is that? No, it's not. It's not the right time. So it turned out it was right. he was right. It was not the right time for him at that moment. But what it did was set the stage. Because a month later, in the most unlikely moment in our living room, with his sister surrounding them, and us getting into another one of these big conversations, he gave his heart to Jesus. Now, that was like two months later. 60 days, basically. That's a lot of time to pass. Did Luke know he had 60 days left to live? No, he didn't. Did I know he had 60 days left to live? No. Was I praying hard? Yep. And I kept on praying. And in the most unlikely moment, the Lord said, that boy is mine. Sorry. You should never talk about your kids when you're preaching. It's really weird. It makes you super emotional. God said, 
that's the time, and I'm going to save him right now. And he did that work. And all the prayers I prayed before that, God answered every one of them. Even when I was just doing it at the end of the day, at bedtime, I was exhausted. And I was like, God, please save my boy. You know, help him to come to know you, worship you. Even when I was just exhausted, the prayer went on. And God made me pray the prayer that he would then answer in saving my son. It's not wasted. And the thing was, every prayer he loved to hear smelled good to him. It roused him to action. It is a beautiful moment. And he won't have to face the judgment and the wrath of God in that way that is going to be experienced on earth. He won't have to get there. That's not the calamity for him. He's God's now. So what, if we look back now, and we look at the entirety of this little narrative that's in chapter 8, it's like, man, you really realize that Jesus in the cross is absolutely central to every moment. It's what made him worthy to open the seals. It's what made possible the prayers of the saints to reach the ears of the Father. It's what made possible the Holy Spirit to indwell the people that would rouse them to pray for vindication and judgment. So, if I was to say anything to you today, and I want you to walk away with them, don't even care about the points, but my encouragement to you is to pray. Pray as much as you can possibly pray. There is no power that results from silence. God will answer your prayers. And I don't mean like in the health and well or the health prosperity, well, you know, all that wealth and health and wealth prosperity gospel. I don't mean in that way. I mean when you look at God answering prayers, he's going to be like, "Yep, I'm doing that thing," or "Nope, I'm not doing that thing." He will give you an ironclad definite answer. But when you pray the prayers that he has put on your heart, he will answer those according to his plans and purposes just as he put them on your heart. And when we pray for the good things like salvation, we ought to believe it's going to happen. Do not for a second build in doubt into your prayer life. Don't say, God, I guess if you really want to get around to it. No. God, when you pray, you boldly approach the throne of grace. You repent and confess of your sins. You thank him for every good thing he's done because when you wake up in the morning, every mercy you have is new. And then you say, God, I need to tell you where I'm at. I need to cry out to you. I'm going to leave you with this thought and then I'm going to pray. Oswald Chambers has a fantastic quote about prayer. He says, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, why you use people such as us, I'll never know. But it's in your mercy and your grace that you do so. You scoop us up and you save us. The cross of Jesus Christ made that possible. And the Holy Spirit today is with us, offering comfort and keeping us in all of your truth. How good you are. Why ought we not to talk to you so much? You're always there. We need you. Father, I pray that you would just do such a mighty work here in Joplin. 
through this body of believers. I pray that you will just wrap them up in the Holy Spirit, that you will charge them with energy and zeal for your gospel, that you will advance that into every neighborhood, street, home, neighbor, family, loved one, that you will do your work in this day through this body. And we trust that you will. We trust that you will bring people to salvation. We trust that you'll keep your saints as you said. You will not let anyone snatch them out of your hand. We believe that, Father. Let us worship you in spirit and in truth all of our days. And let us never stop talking to you. How we love you. How great you are, almighty God. How great you are. In your name we pray. Amen. We're not going to enter into our time of communion. Um, and when I was looking up stuff about communion, I found a quote by John Owen that said that the table of the Lord is God's love on display for us. Uh, and it reminds me this morning when Dustin was talking about we may never fully comprehend the depth of our sin. We can have confidence that the sacrifice that is represented in this table, the mercy that's poured out, is greater than the sin that we can't fully comprehend. Like it's always deeper, it's always bigger, it's always greater. And we can have that confidence this morning. Um, I really like that we do this every week because the price of our redemption, again, is on display. We see it as reminded every week and week out that our, the price of our redemption is on display and that we're strengthened by the assurance that we have through our participation in this table. It's an encouragement and it's a strengthenment to our soul and to our body to go every week to this table and participate in the body of Christ being broken for us and his blood being poured out. We read in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with, with me on this table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it, it could be who was going to do this. So again, we come to this table in that remembrance of what Christ had done. But that means that this morning, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a disciple of Christ, if you're not following him, the table today is not, is not for you, but Christ is for you. And so during this time, if you have questions on what that looks like, uh, to be a disciple of Christ, what it looks like to follow him, what was done, what was represented at this table, um, I'm more than open to, to chat with you about that. I'd love to. Um, you this time or after service or grab somebody else in the room um, that you see come to that table because they would love to have that conversation with you. Uh, but with that said, um, come this morning reflective of what has been poured out and paid for you this morning. The table is open.
dark is light to you, depths are high to you, far is near, Lord, I need to hear from you. Be near, oh God, be near, oh God, near, this is to us our good. Be near, oh God, be near, oh God, near, this is to us our good. our benediction, we read from Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. May the Lord be with you. As you cry to him, he will hear you, and he will answer. Amen.
For. 